0: Hi, everybody. I'm Cynthia Garrett, and welcome to another session. You know, I am obsessed with Bible Q&A, and so every now and then I do something in our home study uh, that puts my husband or my son on the spot. My son's not with us, but my husband is, so I decided to throw him on the couch and do what I like to call Q&A with RC. So I've taken some of the questions that I get from some of you viewers out there, and... um, kind of compile the little list as I've gone through the last week, and I wanna see if I can stump you and also help teach you guys some things. So if you're down for the ride, this is Roger Charles, my husband, and hopefully you're up for the ride and the challenge.
1: Hopefully, okay. we'll see.
0: All right, so this letter actually came to me from a viewer named Simon, who is um, a wonderful man of God. Hi, Simon, and this is his question. Hi, Cynthia, I trust you are well by his grace. I asked my small church group this question the other day and thought I'd ask you, as well as my extended family and someone who knows the character of Jesus well. Here's the question. If we sat down with Jesus and asked him if we owed him anything, what do you think his response would be?
1: Absolutely everything.
0: Mm, That's good. So you think we owe him absolutely everything. What about a practical debt? You know, like... What do we owe him on a daily basis?
1: Well, Jesus Absolutely said, Absolutely everything. If any man come after right. me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, which is your mission, yeah. and follow me. We owe him that.
0: It's true. We owe him our servanthood, we owe him our love, we owe him our life, we owe him our salvation, we owe him eternity.
1: Yeah. I mean, Paul said it was your reasonable service. It's just reasonable. You know, the God that created the universe subjected himself to the essence of man and dwelt on the earth and he went through horrific torture and hell that he might set us free from the consequences of sin and also give us an open door into heaven. And we've been given all that. So what do we owe him? Everything.
0: Everything. Yeah. Simon, I think a better question would be, what don't we owe him? Right?
1: Right. Yeah. That, that makes it easy to understand. What don't we owe Jesus? You know, it's interesting actually.
0: No segues, stick to the question. It is. Okay.
1: Ownership is a very interesting thing in scripture in general. And the only thing you're ever allowed to own, and this is really co-own with God, is your spouse.
0: Yeah, but we owe him our marriage.
1: We do. That's why I say we co-own that. Right. But if I were to say she's my wife, that would be correct. Mm -hmm. If uh, I was to let somebody get away with calling you their wife, that would be incorrect.
0: It would also be very awkward.
1: Yeah. But anyway, you get the (laughs) point.
0: Yes, I get the point. There you go. Let's move to the next question. Okay, so well, this...
1: The, The point is we just don't own anything either.
0: I got it, I got it. No, you're right, I totally get it. So, okay, next question. And honestly, we probably kind of answered this next question in the first question, but the next question is why should I choose Jesus?
1: Oh, I don't think that that's answered in the first question. You know, I think there's multiple reasons that we should choose Jesus. Obviously, the first is that he loved us so much that he was willing to lay down his life for us. And he said, you know, there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus loves us supremely, you know, and, and certainly the answer to the first question of loving him back and owing him everything, sure. But um, there's so many attractive things about Jesus.
0: Yeah, totally. Okay.
1: He, I, he by the way, is the epitome of man.
0: I agree. I have, I have an answer, I think, for sure. why, why should you choose Jesus. <laughs> because how's everything else you've chosen working for you? Yeah. I mean, really. Like, he's the only choice I've ever made that actually worked for me. And, know, and I mean, I, yeah. that, that, that yeah. that's kind of means that it's a pretty smart choice because <laughs> selfishly, choosing Jesus works. Choosing to serve him works. You it know, works for me. It God, works for my life and it yeah. works for everybody around me.
1: You know, God asks us to reason with him
0: mm-hmm. over this. Mm-hmm.
1: And when I, when I was an atheist and I had proved that the Bible was true, I set out to prove it wasn't true, found out it was true, I didn't become a Christian. In fact, I got so mad I threw the Bible away. Right. Uh, it wasn't till all my plans stopped working and I had to sit and think, I just proved that God exists, that he loves me and he has a plan for me. And my plans... Or horrible. Yeah. What am I doing? There's a God who knows all things and has the power to make uh, his plans come to pass. And his plans have got to be better than mine. So what am I doing? Right. So that's a selfish way of looking at things. But God's okay with kids being kids.
0: Yeah, totally. All right, next question. Okay, I like this one. This is interesting. Okay. Um, and I'll let you answer Uh-oh. it first before I answer it. Why should I stay in my marriage if I don't feel like I like my spouse anymore?
1: Uh, that's, I think, fairly complicated and pretty uh, situational specific.
0: Totally, but, right?
1: But yeah, and in most cases, if you go back to when you and your spouse were dating and you stop to think about what was there in the first place while you were, while you were together, um, some of those things... You know, if you really let it simmer with God, he'll show you some things and start to rekindle things. Um, but regardless of that, like I said, it's situation specific. The bigger question is, when you got married, did God condone the marriage? Right. And Of course he did. What God has joined together, let no man cast asunder. So okay. if you're in a situation where you don't feel the same way about your spouse as you did anymore, You have to retrack and say, where did things change? Mm -hmm. And why did they change? And, you know, the scripture is very specific on how you're to act if you're a husband, if you're a wife. And if you're not doing those things, you're not rebelling against your husband or wife. You're rebelling against God.
0: That's good. Now, I would answer that question like this. Why should you stay in your marriage? Because you don't feel like you like your spouse anymore. Well, why shouldn't you? I'd want to know... I'd I'd probably challenge you to take a look at that question and make a list of the things you don't like about your spouse anymore, and then let me know how many of those things have everything to do with you, 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 and your own flesh, and how many of those things have to do with God, and then we can talk some more. Um, Okay, next question. How do I talk about Jesus and my faith at work?
1: Well, this partially depends on what type of work you do.
0: Yeah, okay, so I'm, let's assume that it's a hostile work environment
1: toward... Okay.
0: Or let's assume it's a, it's a normal work environment where there are some believers and there are some people who don't believe.
1: Well, I think two things. One, never doubt that God will back up the truth. Just never doubt that. Always know He'll back up the truth. Our life is one in which we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't rely on our own power. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, you know, if you're in a work environment, if you're a brain surgeon, you're not gonna be witnessing about Jesus while you're doing brain surgery. It takes all of your attention to do your job. And many jobs are like that Mm -hmm. where you can't be doing two things at once. And I think this is very important is for you to not mix your agendas at work. I think uh, many times Christians will do things that are actually detrimental to be a witness for Christ uh, a wife will put a Bible verse in the middle of her husband's sandwich that she makes in the morning. Uh, and he, she doesn't picture the fact that he's going to bite into a sand, sandwich and pull out a piece of paper in front of his friends or whatever. And it's going to backfire. You know, these. Do you th-
0: actually know someone who ever did
1: that? Yeah. And, and oh, so that was not me. Yeah, well, it's not you. Anyway, the, the point is we can think of crazy things to do to try and get somehow God into the situation. And many times they're not the best ways. And. I think it's important that you don't mix agendas. If you're making uh, your husband a sandwich, make a great sandwich. That's how you show love. If you're doing your work, do great work under the Lord and show what a Christian worker is like. That is to
0: me a great answer actually, because so many times I find that questions like that are about, you know, what can I talk? And in reality, I'm one of those people that I needed a lot more Christians in my younger life to show me the money, you know, show me the witness. And if I had seen more of a witness of Christ being lived and, you know, modeled through the people who called themselves Christians, right. I would have probably surrendered a lot sooner.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our intentions sometimes are great, but they're not God. Our intentions are great. I used to have a phrase I used to say when somebody would ask me how I was doing. I would say, I have eternal life. I'm awesome. Sometimes that's great. Other situations, that's horrible. And so, you know, having pat answers and my little way of doing things is not God's way. Be led of the Spirit. Be sensitive to the situation. And if you have any doubts about what you're going to do, don't do it. Moments forcing you.
0: Yeah, good point. Okay, this is a great question. Um, Wow. Natalie wants to know, why would a good God allow suffering to exist?
1: Ah, That's the age-old question. The big question. question.
0: Yeah. All right,
1: well, look, first thing is, uh, there's a lesson in Elijah. You know, Elijah has a huge victory, calls fire down from heaven. Unbelievable. God just backs him up, boy. If you'd have gone through what Elijah did, where the backup is so—I mean, fire from heaven happens on Mount Carmel, unbelievable. But then he gets threatened, he runs away, and he hides in a cave. He's moping, and he hears a voice, and he calls him to the mouth of the cave, and he comes to the cave, and he sees a whirlwind go by, a tornado. But God wasn't in the tornado. Then a fire engulfs everything and goes by his cave, but God wasn't in the fire. And then there's an earthquake, and the rocks are ripped in two, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a still small voice came, and it was the voice of the Lord. Now, here's what God is saying: is I'm not in earthquakes. I'm not in fires.
0: I'm not in suffering.
1: I am not in these things. Now, natural disasters, many times, in fact, insurance companies call them acts of God. They're not acts of God. And God specifically there shows he's not in those things. So uh, nobody makes people live on a seashore where hurricanes happen all the time. We chose to do that. And we know very well where they happen all the time. So nobody told anybody to build houses south of Miami where they just get wiped out every once in a while. I'm not saying not to do it. If you do it, choose to do it, you choose to do it, but don't blame God for you choosing to build a house in Hurricane Alley.
0: So you're saying that the question isn't even really a question because a good God doesn't allow suffering to exist.
1: It isn't that he doesn't, okay, so he doesn't cause it, but he does allow it. And there is a key element right there. Asking why God will allow something, or maybe a better way to put it is, why would God ever remove his hand of protection? And the answer is really simple. God values something higher and that is more important than that. What's more important to God above all else is our ability to pick or choose or to have the free will to say no to God or yes to God. Because if he ever takes that away, if he ever was to thwart that, if he was to take away Hitler's free will, if he was to change those things, he would change all of history and he will have thwarted the ability to pick God out of a free heart. So just like a father to a son or daughter, he wants his son or daughter to be able to pick to love him without being forced to. You don't want to force somebody to love you. That's not real love.
0: Okay, that that therein lies the answer. So God, why would a good God allow suffering to exist? It's because it's because he allows free choice to exist because He loves us. And since people choose to do bad things and cause suffering to other people, Mm -hmm. the existence of suffering is more important than God to actually not allow us to be able to choose.
1: Yeah. And when Adam Adam and Eve chose, uh, sin entered the world, but also the universe, the scripture says in Romans chapter 8, was... Uh, brought under the bondage of decay. Mm-hmm. Everything was great until that sin. Right. That sin opened the door to not only Satan's dominion over the earth, but uh, evil to come into the earth. And we now have the choice to do what Jesus said and what the apostles said. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you look at it this way, almost like a chart, if I do evil to you, I push you down. You have the choice. You can either overcome my evil with good, or you can return evil for evil. So if I push you down, and then you turn and push me down, which is a natural human thing to do, we will start a chain of events going down. But if I do you wrong, and you do me right, and you overcome my evil with good, you push me up. I'll turn and push you up. And now we're in a pace of encouraging each other to just go up together.
0: Yeah, no, I got it, I got it. Okay, so, wow, there's some really great questions. Um, Let's go with this one. Okay. Wow, and this is from Mark. How can it be reasonable for Christians to claim knowledge of an objective truth?
1: Oh, okay, that's easy.
0: Give it to me easy, because that's a, that's a big question.
1: Okay, so uh, Descartes said that even if there was an evil presence making me do this or that, uh, causing me to have to do this or that, I have to exist for him to be causing me to do it. So objective truth means that I must exist to start with. And if I exist and there's something enforcing something on my will, then I must have free will, right? Right. Okay, um, by the way, uh, if you ever want to know if you exist or not, just say the sentence out of your mouth, I do not exist. <laughs> You'll I realize know? you exist. So yeah. once you've established that there is absolute truth, right, mm-hmm. of any kind, mm-hmm. right? Then you have established that things can be, tr- can be true. And objectively true, right? We establish things by witnesses and uh, by evidence. So I stop at red lights, not because there's anything intrinsically uh, something that makes people stop at red lights, No, we all agree to stop at red lights. And I've seen the results of what happened when people don't stop at a red light. I have evidence. But not only that, I have friends that have gone through red lights, and the results can be pretty tragic. So stopping at red lights is a great idea because of witnesses and evidence. And that's how everybody in life makes choices, including Christians. Okay, so now when Christians say, I have objective truth, all they're saying is, I have witnesses and evidence that prove that what I believe is true. Boom. You know, when you're an atheist and you believe that Christians have lied to themselves, Mm -hmm and you believe that they've sort of cherry-picked the evidence to try and make themselves believe, and then when you find out the exact opposite is true, and the atheists that are antagonistics are the ones that have cherry-picked what they wanted to try and twist it into their truth, right. what you do is you go gather all the evidence, right. a landslide of evidence. Right. And the evidence for Jesus Christ is a landslide that cannot be argued against if you're objective.
0: So then I guess in answering, I mean, this next question we may have answered in the prior as well. And this is from Kate. Do all religions ultimately point to the same God? Why or why
1: not? Okay. That's pretty simple. You know, I've heard it said many times that all belief in God leads to the same place, right? Mm -hmm. But in the Bible, the important thing there is, do you know God? If somebody came to you and said, you know what, I know Roger, your husband. And you said, really, yeah. And you know, that five foot three guy who weighs 300 pounds. You go, wait, 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 wait. He's got a few more pounds than I want him to have, but he didn't weigh 300 pounds. And he's like 6'2". If he argued with you, no, 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 he's 5'6". He's got blonde hair. You're gonna go, uh, you don't know my husband. See, knowing him is critical, not talking about him, not anything. And as a matter of fact, if I say God is a head of lettuce, you're going to say, son, you do not know God. Okay. God is the creator of the universe. And that's the first place to start. That's only the first place. Then you know that there is a creator God. Right. Then to know the God, okay, the God is the next step. Do you know the God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you know Jesus, the Son of God? Those are the questions.
0: Right. Good answer. Next question. Okay. Okay. This is from Terry. And he or she uh, asks the question, what are the key passages in the Bible that show Jesus' claim to be God?
1: Well, look, Jesus pretty much said it straight up in John chapter 6, I believe, where he basically just says uh, that he's God. Um, He says, I am, which is what God says in the burning bush, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that I am statement is, that's like saying, I exist at all times. I exist in the past, I exist now, and I exist in the future. I am that I am, or I exist that I exist. God is the existing one. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus just says, I am God. And then the Pharisees go to kill him, because they, it, Jesus says, for what good work do you kill me for? They say, for no good work, because you being a man, make yourself God. So this is a very clear moment, okay? This is no, fuzzy moment. And of course, John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Right. Okay. I mean, and the apostles just crush it out of the park with this. You know, Apostle Paul says in Titus 2.13 that uh, we are looking forward to the glorious hope uh, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, the word there is meglu theu, which is the Mega God and Savior Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, good answer. Peter
1: does the same thing, by the way, himself. What was God trying to do when He gave us the word? Do you think?
0: Give us a clear understanding of how He feels about us and how He wants us to live and how He wants us, and what He wants us to expect. Mm-hmm. In, 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 because obviously He was prophetic, so He was painting a picture of what was to come so that we could be successful down here and be prepared yeah. for it. So I, agree, I know where you're going with this line of reasoning. Would he have been trying to trick us? No, I don't think so. That,
1: that actually <laughs> is part of the way I, I was going to go. The other way I was going to go is the worst Bible critics today. These are the biggest scholars that are Bible critics, uh, guys I wouldn't agree on a lot of stuff, but they all say this. No truth of the Bible is affected by any manuscript we have. In other words, truth of Scripture is unaffected. If God's purpose for the Bible was to give us truth, he's very successful.
0: Right. Um, last question. This is an easy one. Uh, how many books are there in the Bible?
1: Oh, there's a debate. There's 66 by our standards. Mm-hmm. But the book of Psalms is broken up into five books, if you'll notice, book one, two, three, four, five. Right. If those are considered books and not one book of Psalm, but the books of Psalms, then we have 70, which I like a lot better. Okay. For some reason, I would think that God would create 70 books of the Bible.
0: There's so much to be said there, but written by 44 different men.
1: Over 40 guys, there's a couple that are in debate, like the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written by Paul, most likely penned by Luke. I am very convinced of that for a lot of reasons, and some of them scientific, uh, where you saw a lot of tests have been done on the, on the vocabulary of the book. Mm-hmm. But there's a debate as to whether it was Paul or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple other books that there's some authors. And, and then it depends on how you break it up. Like, for instance, the book of Daniel, one of the chapters, it, Nebuchadnezzar writes. Right. So is right. the book of Daniel considered written by Daniel? or Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Right,
0: okay. All right, and then the last question in closing, because we have to wrap it up for this session, was actually tweeted in by Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, and it was, what kind of life does God want a Christian to live?
1: Well, he says what kind of life he wants him to live. Mm -hmm. He wants him to live life and that more abundantly. Mm And Jesus came to give life. That must mean in some sense we can live and not really have life. And that's a crazy s- statement. It sounds like a, a contradiction, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But there's two types of lives we live. We live a spiritual life if we choose to, and we live a fleshly life. We live in this world, but we're not of it. So are we alive spiritually? That's the big question. And then is it abundant? Now, abundant, in the deepest sense of the term, means more than you can handle. It doesn't mean it's a bed of roses and everybody's popping cherries in my mouth. It means you have more than you can handle.
0: Yeah, but more than you can handle good stuff or more than you can handle bad stuff?
1: More than you can (laughs) handle God stuff.
0: Okay, I can handle that. (laughs) So, if you want to have more than you can handle of God stuff, then uh, I suggest you find yourself a good Bible Q&A answer guy.
1: <laughs> oh, Lord.
0: Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I hope this blessed you. I, I, I got to tell you, I love, I have always loved doing Q&As with you because um, it's just great to be able to ask any question. And I find that most people um, have questions. I know I did. And it was being able to have my questions answered by someone that changed my walk and my life. And it's the reason why I can sit here today and be a part of this kingdom and in relationship to you as brothers and sisters and be used by God to share and to teach you from my failures and successes. And so I just hope that you know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord and you want to come into relationship with the Lord, then um, we extend an invitation to you right now to just... Throw your hands up in the air and give your life to Jesus and just say the prayer. Lord Jesus, I don't know you. I want to know you. My life needs to be in your hands because I have a lot of questions and I know that you've got the answers. Won't you come into my heart and be Lord of my life? In Jesus' name. Now find a friend and ask your questions and get yourself into a church fellowship. I'm Cynthia Garrett. This is my uh, guest on the couch and also my co-host in life, Roger Charles, and we will see you another time. Hi, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed today's session. I'm sitting here with my husband because we're going to do a really quick recommend. um, And it's a book that I've just written called Prodigal Daughter, A Journey Home to Identity. It's available online at booksellers everywhere. And um, it's my journey as he knows through all of the things that God has taught me, through all of the things that I've gone through in my life. And a lot of them I speak about in my teachings. And there are challenges that we all face every day that we can all overcome and we overcome everything and we change the world around us by walking in the power of our identity. That's my hope for each and every one of you. And I love you and I'll see you on the next session.